0: Three simple steps to a fairy tale summer, and I would love for you to join me. Save your free seat at the workshop by texting the word "fairy tale" all one word to the number three three seven seven seven. See you there. Hey, Posie. do you want to introduce me so we can get started with the show?
1: Sarah, at the kids, my mom.
0: my daddy.
1: <laughs> my-
0: Who am I? Mommy. (laughs) You're listening to the Read Aloud Revival Podcast. This is the podcast that inspires you to build your family culture around books. I'm Sarah McKenzie and you've got episode 9 of the Read Aloud Revival Podcast. This is the show dedicated to giving you the motivation and the tools you need to build a family culture around books by reading aloud to your children. The show has been downloaded over 40,000 times in these first few months of launching. Wow, you guys are amazing. Thank you so much for sharing about the show on social media, telling your friends, and if you are gearing up to head back to school for the year, you can print a flyer for your school, for your teachers, um, by visiting readaloudrevival.com. Now today's show is sponsored by Audible. You can find great audiobooks for your kids like Charlie and the Chocolate Factory or Anne of Green Gables. You can put them on in the car while you're on the road or listen during lunchtime or even let your kids listen while they have some downtime in their room to give you a much needed midday break. Visit audibletrial.com/readaloud to get a free audiobook and a 30-day trial of Audible's audiobook services. That's audibletrial.com/readaloud. I am super excited about the fall because I have lined up some awesome guests to come onto the show and talk with me. You can see a list. I always keep a a running list of upcoming guests at readaloudrevival.com. So we've got people like Dr. Anthony Esalen, Sarah Clarkson. Oh my goodness, just a whole... um, roster of really awesome interviews coming up. So it's going to be a fabulous fall at the Read Aloud Revival. I'm really excited about it. Today I'm happy to introduce you to Dr. Katherine Pakalik. Dr. Pakalik is an Assistant Professor of Economics at Ave Maria University in Southwest Florida. She holds a doctorate and a master's degree from Harvard University, yes, I did say Harvard, and is the mother of seven young children. I'm interested in talking to Dr. Pakalik because she has a unique perspective as both a mother of many and an accomplished college professor. Today, we're going to be talking about the role that reading aloud plays in the lives of our kids as they grow older and pursue college education and what value it might offer for children who we wouldn't otherwise consider literary or bookish. I think it's gonna be a great chat. So hi, Dr. Pakalik, thank you so much for taking my call today. Hi, Sarah, thank you. Yeah, I'm honored to chat with you. So could we start by having you tell us just a little bit about yourself and your family?
1: Sure, no problem. Um, Let's see, I've been married for 15 years, um, 15 years next summer, I'm sorry, next month um, in (laughs) August. Okay. And um, we're very much looking forward to, to celebrating that anniversary. Um, my husband and I are both college professors. Um, when when we met, I was still in graduate school, so um, we've been kind of um, thinking about you know thinking about books and learning you know kind of our whole relationship. So something we spend a lot of time thinking about in my ho- my household. Um, where we live now, we're famous for having a actually a floor to ceiling library um, in one. Part of our home. Um, oh, <laughs> <which> awesome! <really> so <laughs> you can't even get to the top shelves because they're you know they're ten feet up. That's um, awesome. Which we had someone build in for us because we just didn't have enough bookshelves um, or tall enough bookshelves. It's such a wise use of that space. That's totally wasted. Yeah. Right? What what good is it? I yeah. know. And then the kids think that there's these these like special books that are oh, way yeah. up there that maybe someday they'll come to read. Um, so yeah, you know, obviously with the you know my my husband's a philosopher, um, his degrees are are in philosophy and a uh, minor in kind of uh, economics and um, I study more, you know, family issues and, and um, social issues. I do a lot of work in um, social thought as well as um, economics. And so, you know, the love of learning and, and study um, is, is really something deeply imbued in my household and that we, we, like, we think about, you know, how to learn all the time. You I know, mean, so kind of we're kind of doing this reflexi- reflective thing constantly and kind of we're getting, you know, we're, we're, we're reading and then we're reading about reading and then we're reading yeah. about reading about reading and this is sort of um, something that kind of makes up a kind of quirky, but we think lovable character of our home. (laughs) And so, you know, our kids, um, our kids' friends all know this, you know, so the kids, the neighborhood kids come over to play with our kids. And this has been true as long as we've been raising children together. Um, so that, you know, the neighborhood kids come over to our house in the summer and our kids are all sitting there. They've got to do their two or three hours of reading in the morning. And so the neighborhood kids will come over and be like, Hey, you, you know, grab a book. You're going to have to read if you want to play with so-and-so. Oh, that's so too funny. <laughs> we, we've kind of been known for that. That's the sort of style of parenting for a long time. Um, so that is a little bit about, about us and, um, you know, kind of gives you a little bit of a sense of where we're both coming from.
0: That's great. So, as a college professor, I'm wondering what you see um, reading aloud. How you see that as playing a part in specific, not just reading to themselves, but um, yeah, reading aloud to reading our kids. Yeah. yeah, how does do you think that plays a role in getting kids ready for college or helping them succeed in college? Or how do you think that relates? Or do you think yeah. it does?
1: <laughs> so, in you know, preparing for this um, this interview and this podcast, I was thinking, what could I bring to the table as an economist? And I've been Eager to sort of share with you the work of one of my close colleagues um, who does a lot of a lot of actual work on sort of studying the actual effects of reading aloud to your children, which is is said different from just reading. Um, and I don't know if you've it's something you've already covered in your podcast. So um, I'll just mention his name, jo- uh, Joseph Price,
0: no, we an economist.
1: Mm-hmm. Okay, well, I mean this is just great stuff. Um, Joseph Price is an economist at Brigham Young University. Um, in, in Provo and he's someone I've worked with um, you know in different projects. Um, but some of the most interesting research that I, I think that he's he's done um, in his career as an economist um, he's actually looked at kind of time use data and a lot of the national data sets um, that that look both at kind of what is going on in the home, what are what are you know what are parents actually doing with their children in the course of a day? Are they, oh you know, are they okay now they're turning on a TV show. Now they're having dinner. Now they're reading aloud. Right. So you you know, if you look at a lot, a lot of families, you might get a number of them that are reading aloud at certain points in time. And then, you know, you'll also have access to sort of the children's outcomes. You know, how do they do in school? Do they go to college? You know, that kind of thing, right? Mm-hmm, so mm-hmm. you can start to envision what you could actually look for. Um, so Joe has done a lot of work looking at um, the precisely that, kind of the effects of, of parents reading aloud to their children. And he's 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 produced stunning data, which kind of shows empirically which, you know, isn't the only form of proof, but it's a, it's a good one. Mm -hmm. (laughs) It shows empirically that, um, that reading aloud specifically to your children, uh, you know, dramatically raises test scores, dramatically raises performance later in life in college and that kind of thing. Um, You know, if you, if you'd like later um, at the end, I could could forward you some of the links to some of the descriptions of his papers. Um,
0: yeah, that'd be great. You know,
1: for example, I mean, what, here's one statistic from one of his papers. One extra day per week of parent-child reading during the first 10 years of life increases test scores, on, like standardized test scores, by a half of a standard deviation.
0: Oh, wow. Um, okay.
1: W- now, a half of a standard deviation, just to give you a sense of what we're talking about, depending on the test, um, you know, a standard deviation could be anywhere between, you know, 15 percentile points on a, standardized test or even as many as 20 or 30 so a half of a standard deviation could be you know we're, we could be talking about five to ten percentile points on okay. a standardized okay. test so you, we're talking about like that extra day of reading in the child's early years like before the, the before the age of 10 could mean the difference between your kid you know shooting a 75 75%, percent 75th percentile and a an 85th percentile right and that's that's a massive difference so these right. are these are really big differences and So I do a lot of work in what we would call the economics of education and know the literature very, very well. Mm -hmm. And the truth is that effects of that magnitude, we don't see them very often. Really? Okay. We don't see them very often. So to put this in perspective, um, the kinds of things that a lot of economists go look for when you look at raising students' test scores, right? This is like the Holy Grail. You'd like to raise all kids' (laughs) test scores, right? We'd like like every kid to be above average, right? Yeah, (laughs) yeah. This is the thing. Right? And so you go out and you think, well, what, would, what, would you, what could you check for? What could you look for? What are the kinds of policy things that people care about? You know, from a, um, you know, so when I'm trying to put this effect in perspective for you, I'm saying, well, okay, think about maybe a policy that might reduce class sizes in a whole system for, or a whole district, for example. Um, so maybe you can lower class sizes from 25, you know, 25 children in the classroom to 22, for example. Okay. You know there are mixed results on that. You know some of them seem to modestly raise test scores, some of them don't seem to do any good at all. I mean, you know, so so for example, the evidence on class sizes is very very mixed. It's very complex, but even the best studies, the the ones which show the largest effects for for lowering class sizes don't show effects on the order of half of a standard deviation.
0: Wow. Right? So okay.
1: This is, I'm trying to kind of give you a sense or like, Yeah, well, because know, we other- always
0: talk about that. Lowering class yeah. sizes being such a huge improvement yeah. for. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, but if it's yeah. something so
1: simple as just reading to our children right. one more
0: day a week, it's so, amazing.
1: Exactly. So one extra day per week. And, you know, you're not talking about, I mean, no one in the data set is reading, you know, six hours a day. So we're, ta- you know, so this isn't necessarily something tremendously burdensome. It means. If you've been used to reading when you do a day of reading aloud, are you doing thirty minutes? Are you doing fifteen? Are you doing an hour? Um whatever that is, if you add one more day of that, that's the kind of that's the kind of boost we're talking about. Wow, and it okay. should be said that we i mean, in as far as is possible in this data, Joel will be controlling for things like income and the educational background of the parents. So this is an effect that you're seeing after already saying, oh, well, that one's mom has a PhD and this one's mom, you know, mm-hmm. doesn't. So mm-hmm. this yeah. is on top of that. That's even if you've got the PhD and even if you have, you know, good income and you live in a nice place. Um, so these are, these are big effects and they're really interesting. And they're very interesting in a climate where, we have this you know kind of we we speak very often about an educational crisis and we don't know how to, like America's kids are not learning and they can't read and there's all you know, mm-hmm. and that mm-hmm. you've got you've got hundreds of researchers all over the country chasing after what could produce larger effects and this is a really clear wow like, wow that's a huge effect One can can do do, this.
0: yeah now so when it comes to college students who've been read aloud to you do you think you can kind of tell when you're working with college students if they come from a family that has done a lot of reading or not? Or is it not yeah. really that overt?
1: You know, that's a, that's a really interesting question. Um, can we definitely see, can I see in the classroom a difference between the students who've done a lot of reading and the ones who haven't? And there isn't a college professor in this country who wouldn't agree to that proposition. You can okay. always see it. And you can see it a number of ways. You know, one of the ways you see it when, the student, when, when people have been read to and have been we'll just say, from a, a very strong reading culture in the home, mm-hmm. if, if you allow me to kind of conflate these two for a minute. Because mm-hmm. um, mm-hmm. uh, with my professional hat on, I don't know if I can distinguish always oh, between the reading aloud and the reading. Right, right. Um, but it, you know, what, what you see a lot of what, what professors all around the country are complaining about is that students don't have the ability to actually read. Um, yeah. Not just that they don't, not that they can't read the words on the page, but that if you want to assign them 200 Word to, sorry, two hundred pages of a of a novel or a, or a piece of work for a week, which would be pretty standard. Uh-huh. They can't get through it. They can't get through it, process it. But, and you see the kids who've been reading all their lives. It's it's like that's not an issue. And so you're, what what a lot of colleges are doing is a lot of this remedial work where you know you're in some sense like, they haven't learned to swim. Yeah. You know, like they can read a paragraph and maybe answer appropriate questions. You know, like they can pass the standardized test. Uh huh. But can they can they really read at this adult level? And so you're not really seeing it. To your point about reading aloud, though, are you seeing a difference there? One of the one of the most clear ways where you can see the difference on the kids who do read a, who have been read to, is actually their ability to speak um, with confidence in the classroom. So we have all, myself included, had this experience where you you ask students to read things in class. You want to have a seminar discussion. You say, let's read this passage aloud, and the book goes around the room and it's sort of discouraging that the book stops, you know, that the people, so many students who test fairly well are not capable of actually themselves reading aloud.
0: Oh, interesting. Um, they, trip on,
1: they trip on how to pronounce words. And it's amazing that you think, okay, wow, you, okay, well, you know, you're, you're in college and that word. You're not sure how to pronounce it. So that's, um, I, I would, I, I think there's probably a very large connection between being read to and actually kind of oral presentation and kind of some of, some of the, I wouldn't say rhetoric, right? Rhetoric is building an argument through your speech, but it's kind of a requirement for rhetoric, which is even being able to pronounce words correctly. Well, um, this
0: reminds me of, um, in the very first episode of this podcast, I talked to <laughs> Andrew Putowa from the Institute for Excellence in Writing, and he okay, talks okay. about um, needing to hear from the auditory yes. um, yeah, You know, through your ear, properly formed and highly sophisticated language patterns. And he tells this story. Yes. I don't remember if he told it on the podcast or if I've heard him tell it mm-hmm. somewhere else. But mm-hmm. he tells this story of his daughter who reads copiously, right? In the yeah. air with him. And she asks him, you know, are we going on horizon airlines? And he's uh, cannot yeah, figure out what yeah. she's talking about until he yeah. realizes she means horizon, but she's read it probably a million yeah. times, but yeah. it's not usually a word we use in casual conversation, you know? Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. so yeah, It's I can see that
1: how, um, that's right. You have to hear yeah. the words. Facetious.
0: Yeah. Facetious is
1: one of those words. If you haven't heard it, you're going to say facetious, right? But, I mean, yes. And you can kind of keep going down the list. And, you know, and there's almost nothing more than mispronouncing a word, a common word that will cause someone to look at you and put you in a category of, of stupid or uneducated. Right. It's one of the, you know, it's one of the, it's probably the first besides just your kind of physical appearance and personal hygiene. is one of the first ways that people, um, put you in a box. Right. right. And so we want, we want not to put our, you know, have our children be in those, those boxes, um. It does mean, though, I will say this, as far as parents reading aloud in that respect, it does mean that it is, my husband's wonderful at this. I am a little less wonderful than <laughs> my husband is. But we we do. We actually have to kind of maintain this collective um, governance over the English language, and we, we actually have to make sure we're pronouncing things as, as, as well as we can. Mm-hmm. So there's a little bit of learning we have to do. Um, and one of the ways we've tried to correct ourselves as much as possible, and I was going to say, I don't know how much you Explored this in your podcast is um, is actually kind of making heavy use of of books read on tape. Um, oh yes, which mm-hmm. is another kind of reading aloud. But there are many people. It's a you know it's more than right, there's there's a kind of there's more than a kind of skill. There's an art to read you know, and so we frequently will experiment with books read aloud on tape from read by people with very different accents than okay. an American accent. We will like an Australian accent or a British accent or an Indian British accent. You know, and you kind of run through those and that actually it really helps the children by hearing a variety of ways of saying a word. It helps them to kind of actually zero in on the way we're supposed to be saying the word. Right. Um, and that's something that I think, and so anyway, this all goes back to your point about kind of professional success. And um, and so I think there's a lot of different channels for that, but it's it's pretty critical uh, okay. to kind of speaking language, oral presentation um, and making a good impression, but making the impression the right impression, right? I and mean, we've, we've all known people who were kind of geniuses, um, you know, and almost. You know, this is almost a stereotype of geniuses that they're sort of geniuses, but like they can't do. You know, they're, they're dressed badly, or they can't comb their hair, or you know. <laughs> yeah. so, I mean, they're, they're, the, the world does make allowances for some of that. Um, or I, you know, I had a student here at the university who was one of the brightest students I've ever taught, but had a, had a, you know, a, a congenital lisp and, and mm-hmm. couldn't, you know, couldn't control. And so, you know, the world does make allowances for those things. One shouldn't be hung up, but um, this is very important. How to it's kind of like spelling right so if yeah. someone you yeah. know
0: can be really articulate but if they spell yeah. things wrong it kind of gives the wrong yeah. impression so yeah uh, yeah i also think audiobooks help me become better at reading aloud a better reader. yeah Absolutely. yeah i also talked to jim weiss for the podcast on a few earlier episodes yeah. um from great hall productions he has done. Okay. he's so talented uh you know yeah and that helps me when i'm listening to any kind of audio um
1: yeah yeah. I would also say that the reading aloud is going to make a huge difference, precisely, uh, particularly in the reading of poetry. And again, you probably have explored this at length. And I'm, I'm no poet, nor no expert on poetry, but um, this is a clear place where this is meant to be read aloud. This is not meant to be read on the page. If our listeners
0: are wondering for some good recommendations, um, that show notes for episode seven at readaloudrevival.com have some excellent um, titles there to choose from. Good collections that she recommends, but. I am trying to ramp up the poetry in our own home because I have not been right. um, properly, you know, attuned to the, to love poetry well, but my oldest daughter loves poetry. So I really want to run with that.
1: Yeah. No, I'm kind of in the same place. I'm, um, I, I didn't study a lot of poetry, um, n- never in college, just a little bit in high school. So I'm, I'm not, um, it's not the place I'm most comfortable, but we have, um, really was when I came to work here at the university, um, in a liberal arts college, we have, we have some professors who you know who really teach poetry and they really love and understand poetry so i've been trying to grow and study alongside these faculty kind of learn something that i didn't ever learn the first time Mm -hmm. and um you know i have to say for your readers just a kind of a good example um you know i had i have i had read many of robert Frost's poems when i was growing up as many americans do or you know or or were exposed robert frost um we have a professor here, a uh, you know, great professor of literature who is himself a great fan of Robert Frost. And he um, he is fond of having you know dinners and evenings where people just read read poetry aloud. And again, I don't have any memorized. He has dozens and dozens, hundreds of poems. He can just sit for hours and recite poetry. Oh, what a um, gift! Oh my goodness. <laughs> so yeah, and he's uh, somebody I'd love to connect you with in the future. If, um, but in any case, recently we were at dinner with him, and we asked him to read uh, to read aloud one of, one of his favorites from Frost and. He read this poem, which I have not been too too familiar with, but I had heard it before, which is called Never Again Would Bird's Song Be the Same. And just to hear someone who was, you know, really expert at reading poetry aloud, when he read this poem, I I became I almost broke down at the end. I mean, it was so, it's a short poem that if you read it on the page, you may or may not be completely moved by it. But the difference between how how I had understood it before I heard him speak it and after I heard him speak, it was tremendous. Wow! And it really kind of made I. I really went home with my pencil, and I thought, okay, I have got to start. I, we have to change this up. We have got to do more reading aloud of poetry. So, well, maybe you know, that's why I that's haven't it. really loved mm-hmm. it. Is I haven't
0: done a lot mm-hmm. of reading aloud or heard a lot of it read aloud. I, the only yeah. exposure I've had to poetry is what I've read on the page, and it does sort of kind of yeah. you know lay flat there. <laughs>
1: yeah, I mean, dependent. Yeah, dep- I think it's it's like poetry uh, poetry's like um, you know, it's like fine wine or 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 classical music. It's a sort of thing that you have to be educated to appreciate. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, if I pick up the poetry of Robert Frost and just start reading it, you know, it, 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 it skins to reason I should be less successful than, <laughs> than, you know, a professor of literature who's, who's lived his whole life kind of deeply imbued in Robert Frost. You know, there's mm-hmm, a <laughs> very right. difference. So um, it would be very disappointing if that weren't the case. Um, and certainly Shakespeare is the same. I mean, Shakespeare is not meant to be read on the page we often forget that Shakespeare's poetry. Yes, um, and this is true for a great many, like the epic poems of the of the um, the ancients. You know, again, these are not. We we actually did last. You know, was it two years ago? The university sponsored a a 24-hour like round-the-clock home marathon where there was a 24-hour reading. Um, of the Elliot, you know, just kind of all, oh, like, wow. all okay. night long. And it was like so students would take shifts, and they read this. Um, and the last hour was taken by someone who's done a famous translation. Oh, um, wow. Okay. Uh, from, I forgot who, what his name is. But it was just a great event, you know. And again, the sort of thing that we, we just, in this culture, because we're so visual, we have forgotten the importance of, of the oral, A-U-I, AL, Right, the oral mm-hmm. tradition mm-hmm. and the importance of reading and passing things on aloud, and um, I, it's something I have had to be, I think, as much corrected in um, as you know probably many others. Um, we just we think it's easier and faster to digest information visually, and it is faster and easier. But it's not necessarily that you know we're not actually getting to the same point, right? Yeah, we're not actually it doing the, the same, same value. thing. Yeah, yeah. yeah.
0: yeah. We'll get back to the show in just a minute. At the beginning of today's episode, I mentioned that what I propose for this summer is a relaxed and simple plan that offers just enough structure to keep your days from melting into chaos and just enough fun to keep your kids asking for more. And what summer wouldn't be much, much better with a whole bunch of fairy tales? Well, I'm teaching a free workshop called Three Simple Steps to a Fairy Tale Summer And here's what we're going to talk about. First, how reading fairy tales can make your summer easier. Yes, easier. We want to take things off your plate this summer, not put more on, right? (laughs) Fairy tales can make your summer easier and more fun. I'm also going to share the fairy tales I recommend for every age and the tippy top thing you can do to make sure your kids make delightful memories this summer. It is way less work and way less pressure than you think. The free workshop is happening live online on May 7th, 2024, and you can save your free seat by texting the word FAIRYTALE, all one word, to the number 33777. And yes, there's a replay, so make sure you register even if you can't join us live on May 7th. Again, text the word "fairy tale" all one word, to the number 33777. So as a professor of economics, can you speak a little mm-hmm. bit to um, a, ch- a parent who says their child's maybe not, you know, they would maybe wouldn't peg yeah. that child as literary or that child might grow up saying, you know, I, I want to be an engineer, I want to be a lawyer, I want to be a math professor, or just right. sort of being inclined more to the sciences or math yeah. Or business.
1: Yeah, I have, a, I have a couple of thoughts on that. Um, one, in part because I was that child who was a little bit more inclined to the science and math. Um so I went to this high school that was very strong in the classical liberal arts okay. and very weak, well, you know, weak-ish in the math and sciences. So let's just, let's just, that's the, the background. Then I went to a, you know, a big traditional, you know, Ivy League school with, um, you know, a lot of math and science. And of course I, I jumped right into the math and science right. side of the university. And um, so a couple of things happened in the first year. And the, right away what I learned was that, cause I, you know, remember I thought that I got there by the skin of my teeth and that, more or less, I was completely disadvantaged compared to all these other kids who've gone to these big public schools with huge math science programs. Okay. And, stuff. and so one thing that happened in the first year that I was there was really interesting. So I noticed that in the first couple of weeks, I, I was, um, the other students did seem a little bit more kind of with it, like they, they weren't, I was kind of learning everything from scratch. But in terms of content, what they had already covered, um, the, the course goes so quickly at the college level, it's not the same. Um, you know, by about two or three weeks in, we were all at the same place kind of all equally drowning or treading water <laughs> <was> kinda
0: of, <laughs> yeah, yeah.
1: so the, the little advantage they had from earlier exposure to sophisticated science or math seemed to disappear within about a month and then what happened was very interesting a month later while we were when, when you get to that place where you're producing work studying a lot and um, you know, even memorizing terms in science for example and writing lab, writing up lab reports the tables switched around very quickly to where my classmates we're coming to me. How are you doing well on these lab reports? How are you writing them up? Can you show me what you're doing? I keep getting C's on my lab reports, and these are kids with the the AP science classes. And so, And all of a sudden, it kind of hit me. And it was I was really it was like two or three months into my freshman year, it kind of hit me, and I thought, oh wow, like okay, because you know you hear the things that you hear about the liberal arts, and so this is sort of an apology for, but I mean it's kind of this is this thing where you know I spent a lot more time in high school reading and doing, you know, and reading and writing, if yeah. you will, yeah. than I did doing the science and math. So then I, it, it hit me. I thought, okay, this is the point. The point is not that you're reading because you just really want to be always doing literature. The point is that that does this thing to the brain. Yeah. And it does this thing to the way we think about information, the way we kind of present things, which is inherently superior than mastering kind of recipes of skills, which is what, you, which is what the content of modern science is, generally speaking it's inherently superior. So I was able to take a set of skills, which I had not formerly applied to science and scientific inquiry and succeed much more easily than my peers who had only spent their high school years mastering sort of recipe like uh, techniques. And at that, it was that moment, it was, it was sort of the end of my freshman, the the fall semester of my freshman year. I kind of thought, I resolved, I said, I'm never, ever going to, complain or have a negative thought about my education again. I, and I, I remember I even called my mom and I said, you know, I know I I know I was really a pain in, in high school complaining <laughs> about how you didn't send me to like a science high school. And I said, but I, I get it. And I'm, I'm actually really grateful. Wow. And that was it. It was over. Like from that moment on, I was like a, an apologist for the liberal arts. Okay, this it, is it so, so fascinating profound. to me. Yeah, yeah. It, it was so profound. It was so clear and profound. And I was just, I thought, okay, I'm so grateful. Um, and that thing, that thing, is a very interesting thing, and I'm not sure that we fully understand it, but we see it, um, which has to do with the way that, the way that language actually kind of provides um, an architecture for for the symbolic logical abilities of the brain. But if you if you spend a lot of time with good authors, with good writing, hearing it a lot, that you're you're working on the logical side of the brain. So for those parents who have children who are more inclined to the sciences, the engineering, it's it's imperative not to neglect not to neglect the the humanities side the the reading side and the the linguistic side questions.
0: so it was like the the liberal arts in mm-hmm. the steeping yourself in yeah. the literature yeah. and the written word it was the training to help you learn how to think yeah. well absolutely okay. absolutely yeah, I think right so now. often t- like right now mm-hmm. especially our culture mm-hmm. seems to be kind of that science and math obsessed with all this STEM yes. stuff. Yeah, all the um, STEM stuff yeah. exactly. <laughs> yeah. But um yeah. I think if we can kind of thinking uh, about reading aloud as the best preparation for learning how to think, then we can see the value right. translate into academic right. work outside of the language arts. So Right. So, what about as our children grow older? Do you think the value of being read to diminishes as they're getting older? Or, I mean, for example, do you think it yeah. would be more worthwhile to read to a five-year-old who can't read to herself than to a fifteen-year-old mm-hmm. who can? Or do they serve different purposes from your perspective?
1: So, what we see in the in the data, like Joe Price's work on reading aloud to the to children, who, um, he sees the biggest effects in terms of kind of what you can measure. And I'm going to really emphasize that in terms of what you can measure in the children. The biggest effects are kind of for the under tens, you know, like the ten and unders. That's where you're really seeing, like, if you want to really catapult, you know, change the change their future, you know, in terms of what can be measured. Um, those, that's where the reading to the five year old who can't read. I mean, that's what you're really seeing there. Um, but I would say, as a, you know, again, when I think about my children that I've that I've raised who are much older now, um, that the reading to the fifteen year old is not something to be discounted. And it, but I think that it's it's primary. Um, Function or its role at that age is, is sort of a different one. Okay. And it's a lot to do with relationship and the kind of um, the bonds that we can form with our children. Um, and, I, and I'll give you one small little example just to kind of shore that one up that when when I first married my husband, um, you know, he had he had six children who were grieving the loss of their, their first mother. And um, I was young and you know, I was in my 20s and I didn't know how, you know, I didn't have a lot of means at my disposal. Um, didn't know, you know, like, how do you just sort of start being a mom to a bunch of kids that you don't, (laughs) you don't know very well, and they don't know you very well, and, um, you know, so I had this kind of idea, well, you know, what do moms do, you know, well, moms, like, read to their kids, you know, that's sort of, that's something you should do, so um, with my girls, especially uh, my older, my older, my step girls, my, we don't use the language of step very often, but my my older adopted girls, Mm -hmm. if you will, um, I started reading them at night, um, all kinds of things, I just kind of you know, we, of course, we read a lot of the typical ones, like, we, you know, we read Narnia, and we read, you know, Tolkien, and we read a lot of the sort of typical literary things, but also read, like, hero stories and biographies and stories of saints and just, you know, things I could get my hands on.
0: Yeah.
1: Um. And I would really want, I, I really want, and I think they would say the same if you were to interview them. We look, we all look back on those years when, uh, you know, I didn't have babies yet, and we was, I was just reading to them every night. Mm-hmm. It's kind of like the, the the space in which our relationship was forged, oh wow right you know, they would they would get into bed, and even the ones at that time they weren't you know they weren't five they but even the older the older daughter who's twelve, I mean she was a little bit older, um and sometimes the, the the older boys would creep in, but like you know they 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 get into their beds and they've got a blanket, and I think I mean, I don't know if anyone's ever done this research, I think there's positive endorphins, like something it's like something really good physiologically and emotionally happens, yeah, they're kind of sitting there and they're relaxed and you're reading, and i I really feel like that was how I was able to kind of initiate and form a motherly bond with my child, my my adopted children who, who we, we didn't have any, we had no bonds to start with. It was like just starting from nothing. Right. So those first few years, I mean, we all look back on them. Because then I had babies and, and like it got much harder to do the consistent every night reading. But for oh, yeah. a long time there, it was like every <laughs> single night, you know. I
0: know what that's like because <laughs> so I have so like, an older good. set yeah. and a younger set. And boy, yeah. a like
1: different <laughs> amount of time. I know. You feel so sorry for those later kids. But, but, um, but of course, as some of, as even Joe Price would point out and, and others, you know, what and then, of course, what happens is you know those same girls that I read to when they were that age, they ended up turning around and doing the reading for the younger ones more often than I was able to. So it does it does pass itself on. But I think you know I would also say this to to parents who may be struggling with a teenage relationship that isn't going as well as they wanted to, or forget about the teenagers, like the preteens. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> you know that I I kind of think it's like this magical thing that you can do that. Um, if, you know, if if the relationship isn't so bad that they're not willing to sit at the table, but I'd often find that like the 12 year old who was kind of ambivalent about me at the time, that whereas the six and eight year old, they really just, they didn't care. They were just so happy to have a mom who was going to read to them. Right. But right. like the 12 year old would say she wasn't going to come listen, but then she would come in and like, it was like, she'd come in after the, the reading started and <laughs> kind of creep in. Yeah. You know, that it's just this magical thing and it's so simple and if you did it every, it's like they experience it as love and it's this, it's a beautiful thing. And so I, I do think like when we're talking about the teenagers or the older kids when we're not in the realm of thinking about like, gee, we want to raise their test scores or change the future of their life or something. Right. That these relationship things, it's, it's a kind of very beautiful and um, important thing that's like one of the, there's a couple of things like in my grab bag of like tricks, maternal tricks at this point. Yes. And that is just one of those, like the, the top one is like really high up there. The next one down is taking a road trip. So
0: oh, this, oh, man. Really? <laughs> uh, yikes. So we, I just we can, got we back from a road trip. But. Oh, you
1: did. It didn't work. No, no. Well, but it, They have to be like teenagers. It's yeah. not like... Okay,
0: so <laughs> the problem like was the my husband had to ride a different car because he had to go back to work oh, early. No. And I have three that are two and under. And so... Oh, no, uh, no, no. No, yeah. That There was no forging no. of good relationships yeah. there. <laughs> no, it's
1: necessarily a road trip as much as um, taking drives with your teenagers. And it's one of those one of things that's up in my book of... Um, Yeah, I read that
0: somewhere else too, where they said, yeah, because you don't have to look at each other.
1: (laughs) This is the, this is the key thing, right? So you can, you can bring up all kinds of things that are awkward or uncomfortable and you don't have to see each other in the eyes. That's so great. (laughs) (laughs) It makes it really easy to start, but um, that's now we're really off the subject, but yeah, reading aloud. Um, Yeah, that's my
0: favorite way to connect with my kids, I think.
1: And on the other end, you didn't ask me about the two-year-olds or the, you know, you said about five or 15, but like the one-year-olds or the two-year-olds who you know, clearly you have no idea what you're saying, but they crawl right up under your lap. They're very engaged, really interested. It doesn't matter if there's any pictures or not. Yeah. They, it's like if there's reading going on, They're you do there. not want to be left out. You know, totally. it's like, get me into this, you know. Yep. <laughs> it's been my experience so, too. It is amazing. It so
0: is amazing. how much priority do you think busy parents should try to realistically read aloud? Mm-hmm. Or what have you experienced in your own life as a as a working yeah. mom? Because you've got a busy yeah. life.
1: Well, so... I think, you know, I'm assuming like many busy moms and working moms that, you know, there's a kind of, you know, with all of the various good things we try to do in our lives, you know, be it prayer or attention to, um, you know, our, our family, but, you know, that you kind of go through these phases where you, you drop off and then you kind of have to pull yourself back and kind of remember, like, get re-centered. And, you know, I will certainly say that for, for us, for me, um, reading aloud is that kind of a thing where, you know, as I've had more babies and had kind of more, more demands on my time, it's been something that I've had to kind of call myself back to. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of times, and I, I, certainly I would say that um, I, I do think it's kind of like it's for me, it's kind of up there. Like, in the you know, it's not like in that list of like, well, here's 20 really good things if you had time for, you know, go to museums and read to your kids. Like, for me, it's no, it's like over in that other category of like, you gotta be reading to your kids and you gotta like, or having dinner together as a family. That's yeah. one of those things that's so easy to start to slip away, and yet we know it's so important. So, for me, it's not one of the 20, it's one of the three or four that's okay. kind of. um is it a struggle to make that time? You know, yeah, of course it is. So if you're really, really busy, okay, all you have is five minutes before the kids go to bed, but there has to be the five or the five minutes. So there's got to be like a chunk right. that is happening. Um, does it have to be every single day? I mean, no, I don't think so. It just has to be enough that like your kids would remember, yeah, mom did that. You know, not because it's important that they remember that they were read to, but like if, if your kid wouldn't characterize their childhood as being as experiencing reading, then you didn't actually succeed. (laughs) Yeah, well, and
0: I think a lot of times we kind of have this idea that we either have to do a huge amount or none at all. Well, I kind of tend to be all or nothing. But I I was recently thinking about this Um, the other day I was in the car. I don't know why it hit me, but just Mm -hmm. sort of out of nowhere, I thought, you know, I wonder how much it would add up to over a year if five minutes a day adds up to over a year. And so I did the calculations. And of course, if you spend five minutes a day doing whatever prayer or Mm -hmm. reading aloud Mm -hmm. um, Mm -hmm. over... For 365 days, that's 30 hours in the course of a yeah. year. That's yeah. amazing.
1: That's amazing. <laughs> yeah. 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 That's exactly right. So, I mean, I, you know, if, if you were going to say like, well, okay, wait, wait, like, tell me, just give me a number. Like, yeah, I mean, I would say, you know, 15 minutes a day. And if you were hitting four or five days a week, I'd be like, that, that's, that's a pretty healthy habit.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And that's like you a know? chapter, and, I think, about 15 minutes. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Mm-hmm. yeah. I think, you know, 15 minutes is a chapter exactly it's somewhere you know give or take and you know do you have to hit I mean, look you know we're not all going to read on saturday nights we're going to go right. out we're going to do something you know like yeah. maybe even not friday nights but if we're doing you know something you know sunday monday tuesday wednesday thursday or you know minus one of those days four or five days yeah i think then you're you're well on your way to a habit and you think about exercise that way too right? i mean anything like any, anything that's that important in your, in your life that's a kind of a that's almost like a rule of thumb it's like 15 minutes four or five times a day if you're exercising that way most of us would be much closer to our ideal, you know, fitness level.
0: (laughs) Yeah. And I think it's it's like the small um, habits that we do consistently that seem to make the biggest change or make, you know, we have to work up less gusto to kind of like now it's time to relapse if it's just something we do a little bit. Exactly. I don't know. I know if I think I have to carve out an hour for something, it's more likely to be pushed aside. Yeah. 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 That's
1: exactly right.
0: So do you have any tips or tricks for fitting more time In for reading, or what? What does reading aloud look like in your home?
1: So, um, I would say probably my best tip or trick is sort of to rethink when you do it over time. So, I used to always do it before the kids went to bed at night. Um, That is not working anymore for us because I am too tired. (laughs) That's sort of the answer. I mean, like I get to that point, and I'm so tempted to just kind of change it or switch it or you know whatever. So. So now, um, you know, I, I do have the freedom um, in the schedule because I'm, I'm homeschooling and my little ones are home more of the day. Um, so now it's, it's easier to kind of put it in the morning or at a time when I'm not, like, completely exhausted. Um, so I am much more likely to do the reading, like, after breakfast. We've cleaned up the breakfast dishes and, like, okay, now we'll sit down and, um, you know, or if I'm super, super busy and, like, I can't manage it, well, that's what I'll put on the book on tape so that there is sort of, like, well, even if mom isn't going to sit on the couch, there's going to be a book on tape. Or, or my goodness, um, the podcast. I mean, I'm I i don't, I'm not really into the podcast universe, but um, I'm trying to remember. We discovered one when my, when I was still homeschooling my, my older girls, um, which must have been one of the original, like, read aloud podcasts. Okay. <laughs> they called Story Nori. Yeah, yeah. Oh, up. yeah, they're still up. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. They're still up, but they yeah. were, like, back in the good old days. Um, you know, and, of course, every, you know, well, anyway, they ran out of classics. <laughs> there was a oh, the yes. point at which it was like, okay, now you're reading stuff, but I'm not sure I really want to like throw up. But, but yeah. for a couple <laughs> of years there, we would we would use those pretty heavily because, um, you know, or what you know, what we would do and a lot of times. I'll still do this. Um, is just read aloud during meal time, um, especially lunchtime. I mean, again, like if your kids are at school during the day, okay, then you can actually read aloud during dinner time. That's not a you know, it's, okay, it's not that thing where you imagine, like, it what not what I did when my kids, my older kids were little, like, where they're all cuddled in bed and I'm not falling asleep. Right. <laughs> <laughs> but, but um, you know, I, but I would say, like, I, we we often do it over lunchtime because um, it's just a great, like, you know, if you don't, what what's happening at lunchtime? Sometimes it's just, you know, like craziness or... Squabbling, sickness. yeah. Um, yeah, so then I'll just eat afterwards or I eat before and I'll read or we'll put on a podcast or some, somebody else reading aloud. I was going to
0: mention uh, that books, I think yeah. it's books should be free or
1: yeah, I think it's okay. com. I'll okay. look it up and
0: link it up in the show okay. notes, but mm-hmm. there's a ton of free audio classics um, there. And I think yeah. a lot of those are on podcast, kind of in podcast podcasts, from, okay. like when you go to the website, okay. you can download them really okay. well,
1: easy. I really do think that kind of the classic, if you can do it and if you're not like totally exhausted is to kind of read when your kids are actually in bed. Uh, I yeah. just think it's a beautiful, great thing or, you know, the proverbial like reading around the fireplace, you know, it's just really great. Um, but I was going to say the other thing I've also done when I'm really tired and if I wanted to do the reading at night, it's kind of like you get, you trick yourself into something. (laughs) You're like, I'm so tired. And I say to myself, okay, okay. Instead of going where the kids are in bed, we're going to go to mom's bed. And you know, Ah. people are different about that, but sometimes I'll do this as a kind of, and I have found it's like one of those magic tricks, like inviting the children in to sit on mommy and daddy's big bed when I'm reading. It helps me because then I'm like exhausted, but I can kind of recline and I'm, it's a little bit like, okay, this isn't as tiring as like schlepping up to the kids' rooms and, you know, whatever. Yeah. yeah. Um, So I'll climb into mom's bed and I'll read it. And I find that's another one of those, like the kids are just, they feel so loved to be sitting in, Oh, like, and it's so, they're so honored, right? They're sitting in mommy daddy's bed and they get to, and they're all like, they fight to be as close as possible. Um,
0: So do you have um, a favorite book list or a good resource that you like to choose from when you're choosing books to read aloud?
1: Um... I wish I could. I do a lot of, um, meaning I don't have one list. I couldn't be like, well, here's one list. But I do do yeah. a lot of, um, you know, borrowing from people's lists. So we do have a lot of collections in my library of just the various old, old school fairy tales. So if I'm just looking for something um, that's just, you know, one one chapter is it and it's just, you know, we, we do a lot of like Russian fairy tales, German fairy tales. That, like some of them are a little, you know, scary, but <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> we do a lot of, but we do a lot of fairy tales. Um, just the way my kids are. I mean, they almost all like certain kinds of fantasy books and so sometimes the fantasy cuts across both Mm -hmm. um both groups they both the boys and the girls like it um but um uh yeah you know i I don't know i've kind of worked through um yeah a lot i guess um, nothing i'm going to say is going to be new to your readers but you know i love love reading the Anne of Green Gables books mm-hmm. even my boys even my boys like them <laughs> <laughs> they're <That's so laughs> kind of funny yeah yeah they um, are hilarious <laughs> although like they'd probably die if I just if they heard me saying this and they'd be like is anyone going to know that? <laughs> um, a lot of historical fiction um, the G.A. Henty those old G.A. Henty books yeah. um, are really great um, so no but I do like I'll go looking for classical book lists and um, you know that kind of thing um, do a lot of here like a lot of Biographies of, um, you know, historical figures and, you know, saints and warriors and things like that, you know, which I find, again, even the, the boys and girls will like that because the girls like it because it's just inherently personal. It's like, oh, it's a person, it's gossip, yeah. it's, or, you know, it's like kind of like someone's guy. life, right? Mm-hmm. And if you pick something that, you know, it's a the boy's like. Um,
0: Bethlehem books, I don't know. Um, are you familiar with them? Which one? The Bethlehem books, they publish a lot of Stuff across the spectrum. It's all historical, like living history okay. kind of stuff. Okay, and yeah. I think they have a lot of great titles that are okay. that appeal to both boys and girls because okay. they kind of appeal to that whole character-driven okay. stuff. Right, but right. With lots of wars right. and fighting and okay. all the good stuff. Yeah, but, that's yeah. great. Yeah. Yeah.
1: yeah, yeah. I mean, obviously through the years, um, coming in and out of homeschooling, I've I've relied a lot at different points in time on um, the Well-Trained Mind and some of the kind of the classics of the, the classic books that kind of present a wonderful kind of classical book list for, Mm -hmm. um, for parents and, you know, kind of just dip into that. If you have like the one book, I'll kind of dip in and, um, find things.
0: So I'm sure that a lot of our listeners are interested in what you do over there at Ave Maria university. Mm -hmm. Could you give us a little synopsis of, um, of what your campus is like and what you guys offer there?
1: Sure. Um, yeah, the university is, um, we are 10 years young, um, so just, just, um, just 10 years old. And we um, we understand us understand ourselves to be kind of um, building and providing a, a very strong classical liberal arts curriculum, which we have a very large two year core curriculum, which is a, about as big as it can be. If you're interested in the core curricula that are out there, there's a lot of great ones. Two years is a lot of real estate, um, so that means for for two years or four semesters, students take all the same courses. Okay. But in the last two years, you know you can you can pick a major, and um, we have I don't know thirty some odd majors at the moment, so, uh, so for example, if you if you major in economics here at Ave Maria, you, you'll take a curriculum in those last two years that looks very much like the curriculum you would have, at you know any any um, any regular school, so to speak, any non kind of classical liberal arts school. Okay. Um, our campus culture is um, you know a lot like a lot of the great you know liberal arts colleges that you might be familiar with. We're very, we have a very artsy faculty. We'll put it that way on the on the humanities side. We do Shakespeare. Uh, we take Shakespeare very seriously here, for example, but we also we also we also take Shakespeare seriously as something to be acted and to be done um, as as a play. So you can you can study Shakespeare within the literature major, you can study Shakespeare within the humanities major. You can sort of you can study in humanities generally here, and you can also study Shakespeare within a minor in Shakespeare in performance. So if you want to just do Shakespeare as a performance subject, you can do that too. So that's kind of just to give you a flavor of kind yeah. of what how the humanities wor- works here. Um, a lot of different faith backgrounds here, um, are, you know, although we're, you know, very much identified as a strong Catholic college, um, the last time I checked, I mean, we were about 85% Catholic in the student body, so there's a good, you know, a good, depending on, so right now, you know, maybe 150 or 200 students that are, that are not Catholic, Mm -hmm. um, you know, come from a variety of other Christian, um, and non-Christian backgrounds, and all of those things, and then I should also just mention that we, um, people have a hard time envisioning where we are because most people don't spend a lot of time in South Florida um <laughs> but we our campus is extraordinarily beautiful we're right on the border of the Everglades the national Everglades okay um okay. so what you should picture I mean a lot of students are they are thinking okay alligators and, and snakes and yes <laughs> yeah. there are alligators and snakes on campus but oh if you're not gosh. familiar with the <laughs> yes no wow, I <laughs> like turned you off <laughs> it's a tremendously interesting and cool place to be for four years um so, for example, our biology majors spend a lot of time out in the Everglades looking at things. We have kind of a, you know, it's easy easy to do things that relate to marine biology because of our proximity to both, uh, you know, freshwater like the Everglades is fresh, and then we've got the Gulf Coast and uh, the Atlantic Coast, very close by. So, so all the birds in the world come here in the winter, and yeah. so you know, it's the things I didn't know before I came here. But this is a very, you know, a very popular spot for bird watching, for example, and. Um, we see all kinds of neat, mm. neat, neat things, um, and my my children, for example, have just loved living here because of um, uh, you know because well, of the. Well, because the there's alligators on campus, be so. partially it's because <laughs> of the alligators, but you know, they've they've gotten into nature in ways that they didn't before we moved here. In um, part because cool. you're outside all year here. Right.
0: Um, Listeners, you can yeah. go to avemaria.edu to find out more about Ave mm-hmm. Maria
1: University. Thank
0: you. So it has been a huge pleasure for me to talk with you today, even amidst all the technical difficulties that I lended no to the problem. conversation.
1: <laughs> no problem. Thank you.
0: It's was definitely mutual. Now it's time for Let the Kids Speak. This is my favorite part of the podcast where kids tell us about their favorite stories that have been read aloud to them. Hi, my name's Marissa Campbell. I'm Nan and I live in California. My favorite books are The Chronicles of Narnia and I like them because they're fun and magical.
1: Hello. My name is Greta and I'm six years old and I'm from Florida. My favorite book for, for people to read it allow, out to me is is Winnie the Pooh. My favorite part is when Pooh fall, falls out of a tree be, because he wants to uh, get honey from um, a bee.
0: Ah, the Chronicles of Narnia and Winnie the Pooh. Very good choices, kids. (laughs) Well, that's it for today's episode of the Read Aloud Revival Podcast. Thanks so much for joining me. This is just a ton of fun for me and hopefully very inspiring for you. Remember, show notes include links to everything we talk about in the podcast, resources, good book recommendations. You can find all of those at readaloudrevival.com and just look for episode nine to find the show notes we talked about in this episode. Hey, it's a huge favor for me if you go to iTunes and leave a rating or a review of the podcast. Just head to iTunes on your computer. Look for Read Aloud revival and then there's a place for you to give a number of stars or to give a longer review and either of those things is super helpful i appreciate every one of you who do that that's it for this time and i'll see you in a couple weeks we've got an awesome lineup for the fall so see you very soon go build your family culture around books